Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Some fancy new shells for the OnHub router. A new retail approach goes into beta. UPnP and OIC come together in a talk with Wendy Chi, co-founder of Sentry. All that on this week's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. It's been a few weeks since I recorded one, and so I wanted to catch up and uh, do a quick update on the news within the Smart Home space, as well as have a conversation with Wendy Chi, a co-founder of Sentry. We talked last week about what they're doing with their all-in-one device that acts as a security system, acts as a basically touchscreen home control interface. Uh, among other things. And so you'll hear about what they're doing. We also talked to Wendy about some of the things we're seeing in the smart home. But before we get to that, I wanted to do my own little kind of uh, catch up with the news. I haven't done this for a while. Um, there's some, there's been some interesting stories, uh, nothing massive because I think a lot of the companies are quite frankly, keeping their powder dry until CES as someone who's followed consumer technology uh, for probably too long at this point. Uh, you always notice like in December, people get their heads down. A lot of the companies go quiet uh, and uh, they prepare for CES. Unless you're someone like Apple who never goes to CES or some of these other companies who avoid it altogether because the noise is so great and the kind of the getting above the, you know, getting your voice heard above the din is kind of hard at CES. Uh, but by and large, a lot of people and a lot of companies do make announcements there, do have news. So if you want to kind of compete with all the noise and make sure you're kind of showing showing there and, and, and present there, uh, a lot of companies are preparing for that right now. And I always wish you kind of feel bad for them because it's a, it's the holidays, right? And people are uh, people who are working at the booths or preparing press releases and doing all the stuff uh, are doing lots of work uh, as we speak right now, probably on the weekend and throughout and into uh, CS, which starts pretty early this year. I think I'm actually arriving. On the fourth, which is a couple of days before the conference opens on the show four, the show four opens, I'm actually having a panel on the fifth. If any of you want to come, I'm doing a panel on smart home services and commerce on January 5th. I believe that's Tuesday at 1130. You can just Google my name, smart home commerce, CES, and you'll find the details on the CES website. That's probably a good way as any to kind of get there and figure out where it is. So what's happened in the smart home? In the past week or so, what I mean, I'm not going to go back and do the whole month or two because that's just too much. You can go to smarthomeweekly.net and read some of the stuff I've been writing. Also, there's lots of other uh, great sources, but uh, I wanted to just catch up on what's happening in the past week or so. One of the interesting developments is a new retail storefront, cleverly spelled Beta, uh, B8TA. Again, that's B8TA. You can actually, uh, I think it's Beta.com, B8TA.com. You can find them online. It's a new IoT uh, storefront. It's, there's only one uh, right now. I believe it's in Palo Alto, and it's been started by four Nest employees, four ex-Nest employees. Um, and it's an interesting concept. They're only putting in consumer IoT products, and that that's broader than smart home, right? So that can include drones. Um, it can include, like, 
smart bikes. Um, it includes smart kitchen stuff like the Teforia, which was at my conference. Uh, the, this robotic, t- uh, tea machine. Uh, and of course, some of the other, other devices, kind of more traditional smart home devices. I, I saw in one of the pictures they had the, the drop smart kitchen scale. And so what's interesting about this is it's, they're basically offering the space for rental. So if you are a company, that wants to test a concept, wants to test your product and see how people interact with it and actually, uh, if they buy it, uh, you can, you can basically rent a certain amount of square footage or space on their store shelves and, and they will basically put it there and you could, people could go to beta and they could, they could buy it. And so it's, uh, someone, I had written about this and someone said it's almost like a showroom, but instead, instead of selling to, uh, and retailers, it's more that you're actually selling to then consumer. That's right. It's basically a showroom. And I think this is actually an interesting idea. Now, one of the hardest things that you will be able to do if you're a startup and you're creating a smarter product is actually get into brick and mortar. Uh, that's very hard to do. It's hard to get purchase orders because by and large, you're, you're chasing, you know, you know, five or 10 of the big, biggest retailers and Target or Best Buy or Costco. Um, that that's a huge hurdle to get into those spaces that, you know, they require certain things of you and, and it's just very hard to do. So it's hard to actually test out your product and see what, where people, how consumers are responding to it, responding to it. So I think this is actually one way to do that. And not only just for startups, also for big companies, if you have this experimental product you want to test out, I think that's a cool idea. Now, part of the issue is it's in Palo Alto and I think that's interesting and it's a great way to get exposure to, influencers in this kind of epicenter of the technology world. It's not necessarily a great uh, way to get uh, reactions for average people because, you know, by and large, if you're living in Palo Alto, you're probably employed in the technology industry, you're probably upper income. But how will something like a Teforia tea maker do in Florida or how will that do in Nebraska? So I think actually this is a concept that probably could do well or at least would be interesting uh, to put in different test markets. Um, and I'm sure that they probably have plans for expansion that probably will hit the kind of the tech centers, if you will, or, uh, forward leaning, uh, cities like Seattle, um, like New York and others if they expand. And I'm sure they have plans for expansions at some point, but I think it'd be interesting just as a way to test reception to products in different demographic and, and geographic areas. So we'll see where it goes. Again, if you want to check it out, it's beta, dot com. They opened yesterday. Uh, I'm recording this on Saturday. They actually opened on Friday, December 11th. And uh, so it'll be an interesting experiment. I think uh, it's one that should probably do okay. In other news, just this past week, Google introduced a new maker website for people who want to make creative and interesting shells for their OnHub router. If you remember a while ago, I wrote about it and I talked about it. Google has basically created their own router. They're trying to recreate the router um, and made this very interesting device. It looks a little bit like an Amazon Echo. They're working with partners like TP-Link, who's actually partnering with them on this uh, new website, which is at onhubmakers.withgoogle.com. And the whole concept here is they're letting creative people create interesting shells uh, and casings that go around the OnHub that will allow you to put your OnHub in the middle of your house and people will almost look at it as if it's a piece of artwork or maybe it is a piece of art, but the inner chocolate inside the chocolate shell, that gooey caramel instead of 
being GUI Carmo. It is a Google centric router, but I think it's a cool idea. I mean, I think one of the, the kind of the, the two things I saw that Google was doing with OnHub was a trying to recreate the router by making it easier to use the, the central way to access and control your router was through an Android centric a smartphone. That's really kind of, they weren't actually even creating a web interface to start. They wanted you to do it through your Android phone. And secondly, they wanted to actually rethink how people see the router and put it within different places in the home. Instead of like that nest of wires, like mine is basically sitting in a nest of wires right now in my office. It's not anything you want to look at, but they're, they're saying, why don't you put the router in the middle of the house where you get better coverage uh, where people are living and interacting, using their iPads, etc., playing Xbox, Put the router in the middle there, and uh, and make it attractive. And so I think that's smart. And and this is like a step in that direction. And they want people who are creative uh, to actually make make interesting routers. And so they they have a bunch of creators that they've connected to and showed you their their proof of concept. One one of my favorite ones is by Thing Industries. It's this big kind of furry looking monster. But they also give you the the information you can do to create your own. Now, this probably necessitates that you're actually a creative type or some, has some sort of design chops, uh, because they're, they're giving you CAD files and 2D outlines to, and a guide to do it. So if you, if you really want to create your own shell, they'll help you do that, but you probably at least need some base level understanding of how to do that. But also, I think what they're going to do is set this, create the seeds for a, uh, just, Etsy style world where people are creating these shells. If, if you know the OnHub really takes off, uh, you'll probably see people on Etsy selling OnHub shells, right? Um, I almost uh, kind of, uh, I compared it to the, the world of smartphones where everyone has smartphone cases and you see a very vibrant s- smartphone case economy uh, and people are selling their, their fancy smartphone cases. My wife has like 10 of them. I don't actually use a case for my smartphone, uh, but a lot of people do. And, and so I think that that's actually a, a business and a kind of ecosystem that's sprouted out of the smartphone world. And I think Google has in their mind that why don't we create the similar, a similar one that sprouts out for the router world for, around our on hub. And that's pretty smart. I really had never seen anyone say, let's do that for the router world. And why not? Right. Let's, why not with kind of the, the way, all the ways in which people can make stuff. Uh, all the that creative design expertise out there and the way to actually sell it through things like Etsy, I think this could be really interesting. Next piece of news, switching from router cases to technical core technology. This is actually a piece of news that actually happened a few weeks ago. And I had yet to really write about it or kind of think about it too much until yesterday. It's the, it was the merger of the open internet Open, I always want to call it Open Internet Consortium. It's Open Interconnect Consortium, OIC, and Universal Plug and Play, UPnP, have essentially merged, or UPnP has essentially been subsumed by OIC. And this was an interesting piece of news. It was uh, announced a couple weeks ago that this would happen, that essentially the UPnP would move into the comfortable confines of the OIC and that there would be an, a UPnP working group out of OIC. For those of you who aren't familiar with what the Open Interconnect Consortium is doing, is they're essentially a open kind of organization trying to create an open source standard, much like AllJoin. Uh, their technology framework is called IOTivity, and they're they're an organization that has the backing of Intel among other groups. But I think this actually helps 
OIC in that the UPNP Universal Plug and Play is a longstanding organization that was a very important one back in what I call the first wave of the connected home, roughly, you know, 98 to 2003, which was all about connecting our different computers on the network in the home and, you know, related peripherals, but really is about computer to computer home networks. That was that era. And OIC, uh, excuse me, UPnP was very important there. When I, I remember going to Microsoft, I think it was like in 2000, uh, 99 or 2000, and they first told me under embargo uh, about the senior thing of uh, called universal plug and play. And I thought, well, this is something that makes sense. It's something we need because, you know, we had all been focused on the physical layer standards. Uh, at this point, literally in 2000, uh, HomeRF, uh, was battling with Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi wasn't basically the winner yet. I mean, we all kind of view like Wi-Fi has been the runaway wireless networking standard for so long now. But at that time, Intel was still pushing, believe it or not, home RF in like early 2000. But beyond that, you know, we had, there was a need for like a software up the stack discovery framework, uh, for home networks. And that's what Universal Plug Play ultimately became. You ultimately saw built into things like routers, built into operating systems for your computer. And then on top of that foundation, we saw DLNA built. So for those of you who are tech nerds and, and understand how uh, a lot of this multimedia network happened over the past decade, a lot of that was built around DLNA. At least some of it was built around DLNA. And that was a kind of the evolution as we moved from the home network world to the media network world where we wanted to stream media and kind of connect our entertainment devices. Uh, You needed something beyond universal plug and play uh, that would incorporate things like media codecs, et cetera, DRM. And that's what DLNA was. That was what I call the second wave. Now that we're in this third wave of of IOT and smart home uh, in terms of connected home, it makes sense that universal plug and play would be something that would ultimately be subsumed by OIC. If you don't know this, Universal Plug and Play is actually working on bringing themselves into the modern age, uh, creating their own Internet of Things standard or framework called UPnP Plus. Uh, I had actually helped them a little bit with a positioning paper around this uh, earlier this year, so I was pretty familiar with it. And but most people didn't know about it. Like they were, everyone talked about HomeKit and and AllJoin and all these other alternatives, but no one, no one really remembered UPnP and brought them in the conversation and they were trying to change that. But what it looks like they decided was why not just can kind of join forces. A lot of the people actually who were working in the universal, universal plug and play also were looking at OIC um, and kind of doing work there. Um, Clark Stevens is the principal architect for IOT cable. I was actually wrote a really good piece. Uh, he was the technical chair for universal plug and play form, but he wrote a piece about what this meant and uh, I have a link for to that on my own blog post I wrote about this. If you go to smartomweekly.net, does a good job describing kind of what all this means. But my my take was I think that ultimately this is just something we're going to see more of. We're starting to see some coalescing, not not like a huge amount of it, but we're starting to see some coalescing around certain core technology elements. Some of the technology foundations for the modern universal plug and play, as well as what IoTivity is, are similar. And there's also some commonality with all join. And so you're starting to see some coalescing around some of the core technology elements that will make universal, that will make IOT work in the software layer. And I think bringing universal plugin, universal plugin play together with IOT. Um, I think this is just an example of that happening more and more. So 
I think it's largely good news. I think you're going to see more and more consolidation in 2016. I don't necessarily see uh, the big guys with their proprietary frameworks like Apple with HomeKit and Google with Google with Nest and, and Weave coming and kind of trying to jump on board with all what's happening here necessarily. But I think they should. I think it's something they should consider because I think the industry needs it. The last piece of news I want to talk about was an, a piece of news that I learned about yesterday. Um, I haven't heard about it yet, but I probably will write up something. It's the news that the the Scout Alarm, which, which is a DIY smart home alarm system with monitored security. They have basically a service layer for monitored security where there's a call center will go spring into action. If there's something that seems weird at your house, it's an interesting offering. Uh, but what's interesting is they actually did a deal with smart. What's even more interesting is they did a deal with smart things. They're actually going to layer on their monitored security service onto smart things is really the first premium service you could get through the smart things, tech, smart things offering. If you look at smart things, which has been acquired by Samsung, they had some, you know, interesting apps and kind of services around it, but not really any premium services. And so this is the first one that's been built on top of smart things. And it's actually one that doesn't use the scout technology or doesn't use the scout hardware. It's, it's basically a layering of their own monitor security service. The scouts, it's a layering of the scout security service on top of smart things hardware. And for $19.99 a month or so, you can actually subscribe to that. I think it's an interesting thing. I think that you're going to see more and more just general purpose smart home products like the SmartThings Hub, maybe some others. You'll start to see them trying to go more and more into premium services because, you know, getting beyond just kind of that initial hardware monetization strategy is one thing that all these guys are looking at because you can only make so much money when you're just selling, you know, $50 and $100 devices, there's no real recurring revenue stream for these guys. And they all want to get to that. And so I think security is a logical step for them. And I think just you kind of combine that with the trend we've seen into the security world, where I think you're seeing more and more DIY security guys come into the space. Uh, you get, you've seen longstanding guys like Simply Safe do well. I think it makes a lot of sense. As we try to expand the total pie uh, for the home security market beyond just that core 25%, for those of you who have heard me rail on about the home security market in the past, I'll kind of just revisit it because I haven't done it for a while. You know, just 25% of people in the U.S. traditionally have subscribed to home security uh, through companies like ADT and others and Brinks. But what does that mean for 75% of the population that doesn't? You know, if you live in an apartment, if you're highly mobile, if you're young, why aren't you subscribing to home security? Well, it's probably because you don't necessarily want to sign it to your contract and pay $50 a month. And that's why there's been a, a kind of a, a new bounty of companies like Canary, uh, and others spring up, Simply Safe and these others spring up and offer different models. And I think that's just a trend that's continuing to gain momentum. And this is an example of that trend combining with DIY smart home layering on premium services, security being really kind of a logical one to do that. I do have to say that smart things overall activity has slowed down a little bit. As often is the case when you see a startup uh, get acquired from a larger company, you oftentimes see kind of the the momentum slow down in terms of an innovation standpoint because they then have to do integration. They have to deal with the bureaucracy of the big company. It's all the same, I think, with Dropcam. As it got pulled into Nest, which is really part of Google, it seems like they really didn't do anything for a year and a half when they came out with their new Nest Cam. But overall, you haven't seen a ton of news out of smart things. So this is an interesting one, and I think it's a good deal for Scout as well. All right, folks, speaking of smart home startups, 
It's time to move on to the second half of the Smart Home Show, where we talk to Wendy Chi about what they're doing with Sentry. Before we do that, I just want to remind you, if you haven't subscribed to the Smart Home Show, please do so in your favorite podcast app. You can also go to technology.fm, find us there. If you are going to be going to CES, I will be there. Feel free to reach out to me via Twitter and let me know. Maybe we can connect. We're also looking at doing a live Smart Home Show. Believe it or not, if you're going to be going, we're going to be doing a live Smart Home Show from the show floor, I believe on the 7th which is the Friday. And we're going to be doing that at a booth, I think, in the Sands. One of our good our good friend, Anova, which you uh, may or may not have heard of, they, are, they, they make the sous vide maker, will be doing the Smart Home Show. And, and I think they we'll have the details finalized pretty soon from their booth on Friday, midday, probably around one or so. So keep that in mind. I'll have, I'll firm it up on the next podcast and you'll, you can find me talking about it on social media. But uh, if you want to see a live recording with a few different guests, that's your opportunity. All right, folks, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Here's my conversation with Wendy Chi. I'm really happy to welcome Wendy Chi, co-founder of Sentry, to the Smart Home Show. How are you doing, Wendy? Good. Thanks, Mike. How about you? Doing great. We met down at the Target recording where we we did the Smart Home Show live down at Target, and so I was glad to catch up with you guys because I've been wanting to talk to you guys because I've seen you guys out there, and I'm intrigued by your product. So we're going to get into that. You're going to tell people all about it, but let's, let's talk shop a little bit. Um, we were just talking before the show about how – 2015 is coming to a close, and we're looking at 2016. Uh, as someone who writes about this stuff, I, I have to start preparing my. This is what 2015 was for Smart Home, and here's what 2016 mm-hmm. is going to look like. And you're going to help me out, Wendy. Does that sound good? Sounds great. <laughs> so when you so you've been in this space for a while, you're, you're you've been creating this product, and as you look around, 2015 I think was a, a year full of action. If you were to kind of think about maybe kind of the top couple trends in the smart home. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of give my ideas maybe as well. But you know, what do you what do you think were the things you had thought defined the market for this last year? I think really, even though the smart home has always been intended for the consumer, I think we're really starting to see the beginnings of actually the consumerization of smart home. And what I mean by that is actually a focus less so on the technology, even though that's still incredibly important. Like if you look at all the standards that are out there and kind of how products talk together, but more talking about the narrative and what a smart home actually means to an individual. And so from that standpoint, I think that like one thing that we've really seen that the market has asked for and what people are really shifting to is how can I get my smart home started in a quick and easy way? Um, and you have kind of like your audience of early adopters who've gone out there and purchased like smart home products, kind of set up all of their hubs, all of the home automation. But then really for kind of like the mass market, I think there's a really big demand and um, as well as like the want for kind of simple products that work and do something like right out of the gate, but are also expandable and actually truly about like getting smarter. And one thing that's been really interesting for us to see is kind of how like the definition of a smart home has evolved a little bit. Like we still see like when people talk about a smarter home, they're really talking about a safer home. But starting this year, we're seeing kind of like people also looking towards a safer home as being beyond something that's that's just more than like, physical like home security that you would typically think of, but thinking about building up the basis and buying kind of the basic building blocks of what they want their smart home to be. Like a lot of people think about it in terms of convenience, but it's also about like energy efficiency. It's also about kind of like how people use these products on a daily basis and how they, they're going to explain it um, to their family members or to their friends that are coming over. And so there's been an emergence of these kind of like all in one 
um, smart home products as well, where it doesn't necessarily just do like one function, but it's also about kind of like having a good base to build build something from there. And so so that like kind of like the technology that's already available today um, is able to be distributed in a way that's easily digestible and easily consumable by everyone. Yeah, it's funny. I just had a call with a journalist who called me to ask me, you know, what is, uh, what's the market now for smart home? Cause he was preparing his piece for CSM. I basically said the early adopters have done kind of the, they've fallen on the sword for us a little bit and kind of gone through the pain. And, and it's, not, it's because they liked you, right? They, they don't mind working with the technology and tinkering it. I think, I still think the mass market, the consumer isn't thinking they want a smart home. They're thinking about very narrow kind of, uh, products that may be something like, oh, I can control my lights with an app or, um, I can maybe have a, a lock. Oh, this lock is app controllable and I can put in a, a code. So they're not thinking I want a big smart home, but I think, um, I think the industry is starting to try to figure out how they can get these consumers to, you know, want the broader vision. Cause I don't think they've been convinced yet. So I think that's what the industry is, is working on. I don't think they've gotten there yet. And, uh, another trend I've just kind of seen, I think you guys are in this category of kind of the, the, maybe the third or fourth screen in the home. And I'm thinking outside of the, the iPad, you know, tablets, I'm thinking outside of televisions um, and outside of mobile devices. Is there a need for like a, you know, another screen in the home that is kind of a central command center? Um, I think you guys are kind of in that space. I think Wink with their, their touchscreen is trying to maybe do that. There's a company called Loop that just launched a product and they're completely different. They're more like a, uh, like what I call a digital kind of photo frame, but with like some really intelligent kind of capabilities built in. So, uh, do you see that as something that maybe is a trend for 2016? Because I'm kind of noodling on that. If that's something, maybe there's a, an emergence of another screen. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's like a really interesting question because a lot of times we'll get that question. We get that question a lot, obviously. It's like naturally, it's like, why wouldn't I just put like an iPad on the wall, right? And again, like it's like about the very specific use case. And I think more than more than like what screens kind of coming for 2016, I think it's going to be about new user experiences and just kind of like the way that people experience the home. Because right now, if we think about a smart home, actually most of the activity that happens with a smart home happens on your phone. And that's not really a really natural way to go about interacting with your home, which is why I think that like products like, for example, the Amazon Echo has seen a lot of early day successes because it's about kind of like creating a new form of engagement. And so from that perspective, I do actually see kind of like having a screen as being a really strong and powerful force in a home um, because it gives you that added an additional way of really interacting and engaging with with your home in a way that you haven't been able to do before. But like, I think all good user experiences, it's tied and locked down in something that's very natural. So like with the Echo, for example, it's about like voice control. Um, with the screen, what we're really seeing, and this is kind of like based also off of like early feedback we've had from our customers as well. We've really seen people really embrace this idea of being able to set everything up from a touch screen. And it's something that like they didn't really think that they needed initially. But once they actually have it, it's just, it's almost like, oh, this is like really natural. Like I didn't really, like I, I can't believe like I did it any other way before. And so in terms of kind of, and I guess going to like, wrapping up the year and going to next year, I think that we'll really see an emergence, not necessarily of like new technologies, but about new user experiences. There is kind of this uh, trying to define what this interface and the control point is for the smart home. And so you talked about Amazon Echo. Um, 
I think you guys could also be that, but you know, they're not mutually exclusive because I don't know if you, your product could do voice technology, but I can envision like a, an interesting community-based screen. When I say community, the family-based, and I think layering in, uh, you know, voice control could be really interesting. So I think the, that's I think a lot of the things we're going to be thinking about next year. Yeah, and I think that like actually this is a huge trend that we've seen kind of coming from 2015 as well is interoperability. Like nobody has really kind of like quite figured that out yet, right? And so I think in this space, it's a lot less so, I think it's a lot less so of kind of a David and Goliath type of dynamic versus everyone trying to figure out how to work together. Because I think like one thing that we had kind of alluded to earlier too is one of the biggest challenges that's really facing the smart home is more about the grander narrative. And I think because the consumers are really looking to us, like the people that are building the products to kind of like build up that story and tell that story of this is like what a smart home is. Like it's not just about light control. Um, it's just not, it's not just about kind of like, Oh, look at like my cool new gadget, but it's really about fundamentally changing the way that like we live in our homes. And I think that's kind of like a story because there's so many different parties, variables that are involved it really requires everyone to work together and so like for me I, I see kind of like voice technology as being like a really great complement to something that like you can touch like with Sentry um, and having a screen that you can actually interact with and the use case for that will be very different from like how you you might how you might use your Amazon Echo. So I guess I want to transition and, you know, talk a little bit about the center. We've kind of uh, nibbled around what it is and, you know, we kind of both know what it is, but let's uh, maybe explain the concept to the listeners so they kind of understand what you guys are, what you guys are offering in the century. Sure. So um, for us with Sentry, what we're offering is really an all-in-one home monitoring solution from a touchscreen. Um, and so that's kind of why we were talking about screens earlier and whether that's that was a trend that was going to continue to 2016. Um, and from kind of the device itself, it's about 9.4 inch by 9.4 inch, um, just to give you a sense of the size. You're With a 10.1 inch touchscreen, you have an integrated 120 degree wide angle camera as well as sensors that help you track your home's temperature, humidity, air quality, and also kind of gives you like the weather forecast. Um, behind each of those numbers, like for example, temperature, humidity, you can tap in um, either from your sentry screen or on your mobile app to pull up kind of a trending view of what your historical temperature has been up to like 30 days. Um, and then from the camera, you can do live video monitoring. So when you're away from home, you can tap in, see what's happening, as well as get alerts whenever there's unexpected activity that's, that's detected. And um, it's all in one because we also work with other third-party brands. So we connect with the Nest thermostat, with the Philippines smart lights, as well as the Wemo switches. So when you think about it, on your phone, you have just one app that you can go to to control all of your devices. And when you're at home, you have a screen that you can you can go up to and control all of the devices around your home without needing your phone with you necessarily all the time. And that's something that can be shared because, like, for example, you may perhaps you don't want your kids to have the app, but you want them to still be able to have the full functionality of controlling their lights in your home. And so they're able to do that from the century when they're at home. I like the concept of all-in-one, but I think the challenge for all-in-one devices is does it um, maybe confuse the customer because it's, you know, it's a Swiss Army knife and it's trying to be 
all these things and and they don't know so they know what bucket to put you in because consumers oftentimes need to kind of have things defined for them so is there a kind of a a foot forward a foot you put forward first as maybe a security product or do you are you just you think that you can go and convince the customers to, that they need an all-in-one uh, device that does a lot of different things that's a really fantastic question, especially because like, um, I look at our marketing a lot of times, right? And we do definitely see that, like, especially in the beginning of the year where people were really kind of like, okay, this is like purely a home security device. Um, and really thought of it that way. And we are starting to see a shift in kind of like consumers, like response as well to having a preference for all in one, because I think a lot of times they've been burned by kind of like products that like, have that do one thing, but then they can't necessarily connect it up with everything else. And so even though like right now still, we do kind of position ourselves first and foremost as like a home monitoring product, the all-in-one kind of like narrative is something that's kind of still very much part of who we are and um, that we're seeing kind of like in terms of the market, a greater understanding for it, but there's definitely still a way to go. Yeah, you're right. I think that, um, you know, when... Canary was coming out and some of these others, they were firmly putting themselves in the, the home security camp. I think that makes sense because consumers inherently understand home security. It's a tangible thing they could get their mind around. Um, but what you're, what you're saying is you think that the market's starting to adjust where consumers are maybe becoming savvy enough to maybe understand the need for maybe all-in-one appliances. And it doesn't have to be like firmly racked in the cloak of home security for them to kind of get the value. Um, exactly. So, but I think that that home security is definitely the first and foremost a proposition that like people are attaching themselves to. But then at the same time, we do see kind of like a growing number of consumers who under who are starting to understand that proposition all in one and are looking for that actually um, because they realize that kind of like okay, like a smart home. Even though if I buy, buy a product today. Like, I want to make sure that it works with other products down the road. Or, like, I can start knowing more things about my home beyond just kind of, like, security. And so it's that's definitely going to take some time. But I think that um, it's a conversation that we're starting to see change. And I'm willing to accept this idea that people are maybe wanting to have the, I, I guess, the control and command of the smart home defined for them a little bit more firmly. Because I think... Everyone understands that you can use an app to control devices, but once you step back and look at a device, a household devices, like there's still no firm master control device. People, you know, you know, if you're someone like a Logitech, you may say, "Hey, let's let's use this thing that we typically have seen uh, packaged as a universal remote for entertainment and make that the device, right?" Or if you're Amazon, they're saying, "Well, why don't we kind of be the master controller?" I think that's like to be defined and to be determined. I think that a touchscreen makes sense because I think consumers inherently understand that. So I don't think positioning yourself as a kind of a, kind of the master control or kind of the touchscreen control for your smart room isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that that that's an element of it. Um, But I think one of really premises that we also came out with when we came out with Sentry really was that really for people to actually make full use of their home, they need to, first and foremost, understand it. Um, and so, like, for kind of like when you think about for a mass consumer audience, too, like, the idea of having 
having a master control of the home is very appealing, but you also have to go out and buy all of these individual elements. And that's going to take a lot of time. And it's definitely, I think the market isn't at a point where the products are cheap enough really for someone to say like, okay, I'm going to go out and buy like a $50 switch and I'm going to go out and buy like a hundred dollars for three light bulbs. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like where I think the value proposition of being like we can provide you with home security and home monitoring and knowing more about your home and having that like the true all in one aspect of it is that you have a way to interact with it and we'll give you control over kind of like popular devices that we know work and that we know have kind of like proven user experience, like positive user experience to be able to kind of like expand your definition of what a smart home means to you. Because I think that like, while some people may find like, I, I want like smart lights. Other people may just want smart switches and like, um, and others yet may still find a, a lot of value from kind of like a thermostat, right? Like, like for me, like I live in San, like living in San Francisco, a Nest thermostat isn't necessarily something that I absolutely need to have, but like absolutely like when you think about kind of like the East Coast or the Midwest, um, with a lot of kind of like winter storms that are coming, like the value proposition of a Nest thermostat is very different and becomes a lot more crystallized too. And you've done integration with, I think you talked about Nest, you mentioned Philips Hue um, and the few others, you basically integrated with their, their API. So if people wanted to, if they have those devices at home, they wanted to control them, they, you guys have done those integrations. Exactly. Yeah. So we've, um, so to start out with, we've done the integrations with the, with the Nest thermostat, with the Hue smart lights, as well as with the Wemo switches and light switches. And that covers a lot of ground. Cause I think if you think about the popular DIY systems out there, those are three of the biggest. So that's a good starting point. Do you guys have plans to, and do you kind of have some, some new ones in kind of a near term that you're ready to announce? Uh, we don't have anything that we're ready to announce quite yet, but um, we are definitely looking at several, a lot of different products right now, and many of which have come kind of like from our community as well. There's definitely a lot of suggestions um, in terms of different like products that are out there, but we typically see kind of along the same themes of like smart lights more than anything, I would say. Tell me a little bit about the origin story. So you guys have been around, uh, I think, for a couple years. Tell me about how the company got started. Yeah, so we've been around for a little bit over a year now. And I guess like our start is a little bit unique because I guess to understand kind of our start, like it was more about our team makeup. Our team is actually, our strength is really in software. And so when, and in working with kind of like leading um, mobile developers like HTC and like Asus, Acer. Um, and we really saw kind of like a need for better smart home monitoring that that would be out there and so like for my co-founders and i like we we know and we understand the importance of home security like we're renters like i rent in san francisco uh, my co-founders rent in Taipei. um and like there's never really been kind of like an easy all-in-one type of like solution out there and what we really saw from the smart home space that we felt was lacking was actually a really good user interface that made it really simple for everyone to understand and also engaging enough that they would want to come back um, and having like delightful experiences really in the home and so when we thought about the form factor like coming from a mobile slash software background like a touchscreen was only natural because we knew that that was like a proving interface that people knew how to engage with, it would mitigate a lot of the technical challenges that we 
we felt like we saw in a smart home in terms of installation um, and having to kind of hook up different cables and wires. And so our first step naturally was to kind of like see if this was something that like the market would want. So we we made a quick prototype and then um, we put it up on Kickstarter. And that was kind of really the first time that we really saw like, okay, yeah, the market definitely wants something like this. We ended up raising a $400,000 campaign out of a $200,000 goal. And and then being able to work with really great partners. So we were actually up in Seattle right after our Kickstarter um, campaign of fall of last year with Microsoft Ventures. Um, and and then from there, it's been really interesting in terms of just like building out the product, but also in terms of building out kind of like the use cases and the narrative really around what the smart home really means. And you guys are going to be at CES? Uh, yes, we will be at CES. We will be at CES. We won't necessarily, we won't be exhibiting there, but we'll be there. And people can buy the Century now. You guys have fulfilled, I believe, to your your backers on on Kickstarter, and you can now buy it uh, from your from your website for I think it's two ninety nine. Is that where? Are you guys in any besides your website? Are you guys in, available through any other channels? Yeah, so we're available both on our website Century.me as well as on Amazon, and the price is two hundred ninety nine dollars with free domestic shipping. Very cool. Hey, well, Wendy, thanks for spending time with me and telling me a little bit about Century. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it. That's my conversation with Wendy Chi of Century. You can find Century and more about them at Century.me. And Century is spelled S-E-N-T-R-I, so that's Century.me. Check them out. Learn more about them. Also, if you want to check out more podcasts, more smart home shows, just go to technology.fm or find us in your favorite podcast app. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, Expect some more podcasts before the end of the year. I'm talking with the folks over at Home Tech, also talking with Richard at Home On, and we're looking to maybe do a collaborative what happened in 2015 and what's what's going to happen in 2016. So keep an, keep an eyes and ears up for that possibly. But we'll probably – we will have some podcasts before that, before the end of the year as well. So all right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>